Capitol Hill Club and they went nuts. I said, we're building the shock troops. That's the 4,000, the 4,000 political appointees needed for Trump's second term. There is a deep plan right now for Trump's second term. Win in November, start to basically stop the Biden administration dead in their tracks due to the massive investigation of the FBI, the Justice Department, uh, Fauci, Hunter Biden's laptop, all of it. And really start the second term then with stripping these guys and, and focus and investigation while we build a massive landslide. And remember, the Senate, the Senate, it looks the cycle is so great for the Senate. Build a massive landslide in 24. We have the whole corporate media, big tech, the Democratic Party, the rhinos, the neocons bullying the American people the last two years trying to drive us in, into submission. And this is a referendum against the power structure that the ragtag American people with red blood of every race, color, and creed have come together and said, we want America back. We want our republic. We don't want the leftist critical race theory and the transgenderism and the open borders and the wars and the tyranny and the surveillance and the censorship. And so despite all the fraud and all the rigging and all the Google manipulation and all the Facebook manipulation and all the Twitter manipulation, the pendulum is swinging back in a mighty, mighty way. And no matter how much fraud they throw at us, they can't stop a red tsunami. And so I think we're going to see a major, major victory tonight. And for those of us that have been on the front lines, nobody more than Steve Bannon, nobody more than President Trump. I'm kind of the next level of being attacked. You know who the real people are by how attacked they are. Welcome to Wetwired. This is episode 20, our special coverage of the fallout from the 2022 midterm elections. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. Even though Jules detests change and has an almost fascistic affection for order, we're breaking our usual rotation of premium and regular episodes to put out this extra special bonus episode while we're all still flush with post-election glow. I'm not just flush with it. I, I look like a maniac. I've been staying up late and I'm like, I have been Charlie and always sunny during in the mailroom looking for Pepe Silvia. Pepe Silvia doesn't exist. <laughs> Turns out it was Pennsylvania the whole time, but it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Sean. <laughs> well, folks, by now you've all you've heard all about what happened on Tuesday. After all the promises, predictions and fortune telling from Republicans about the red tsunami that would crash into all of us, a sitting Democrat with terrible approval ratings and over 8% inflation. What was promised to be a red wave turned out to be just, just barely, barely a trickle. There, it's almost a tie. There's been after all of you that, know. all of that flustering <laughs> and campaigning and talking about kids using litter boxes in elementary schools. <laughs> the critical race theory is going to come from under your bed, and it's going to come and it's going to eat you. It's going to gobble you up, and kids. It, it, just campaigning on all of these fringe issues, like like forcing children to have bottom surgery and 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 hospitals in in Massachusetts, all of these things happened, and it still ended up to be a tie, and and it's all going to come down basically to this election in Georgia, the runoff election on December sixth, the between Warnock and Herschel Walker. I don't know. I I think I pretty much am sure that Herschel Walker is going to win because at this point. Everybody knows everything. 
all the people who would, are going to vote for Warnock are going to vote for Warnock. And that's just that. Everybody that was going to vote for Herschel Walker knows that he's been paying for abortions and he has long-term brain damage and they're still going to vote for him. They already decided. And, and, and then we have this third party candidate whose, whose votes are, are going to get tossed up between those two. So uh, yeah, I think, I think we're looking at the slimmest of majorities in the House and the Senate. With these runoffs, it occurs to me that you have to keep in mind who will vote twice. Who's the person that's going to be motivated to go two times? I don't really have an answer for that. I, I, don't, I don't particularly have a good insight into that. Uh, I'm not going to 538 this <laughs> with, with predictions. But that is something to keep in mind, that it's going to be the people who show up the second time. And that may not necessarily reflect simply the difference of the independence. It's true, yeah. Who's going to be motivated to come out a second time for another vote? The red wave that was promised really didn't come. And uh, speaking of not coming, speaking of not coming, this is one of Ben Shapiro's tweets from election night. From red wave to red wedding. Just, just he was not just an happy. absolute nerd too with the Game of Thrones reference. He was not happy. I listened to him go off for an hour, how long his episode was on the Ben Shapiro show. And it's more accurate to say I suffered through it. The way that his voice sounds, Ben Shapiro has a way of speaking that is simply so anxious and so tense. And it's such a fast cadence that it puts me on edge. The The results in a lot of states are still coming in, so we don't really know how this turned out. But I we know that it's going to go to the Republicans for the House at the very least. And uh, the Senate is kind of a toss up, but it's probably going to lean towards Republicans with a narrow victory. But either way, nobody really won. The Democrats didn't win because they didn't actually get control of D Congress. Democracy won, Jules. <laughs> America won. We all won. That... That's that's a narrative we're hearing a lot, especially with the cons concessions. I, I'm serious. The NPR things that I've been listening to and even, uh, you know, the BBC things across the board, people are talking about the concession speeches and the concessions that are being given by Republican candidates, even MAGA candidates who lost and conceded without any issue, without any problem. It is it is different than expected, even despite all of the tactical uh, poll watchers who are out there. It seems like we didn't really have the kind of political enemy and even potentially violence or disruptions that was really anticipated. I don't think there was really anything. Yeah, I, I was catching a couple of live streams on Rumble of uh, of uh, of courthouses and you know the uh, the live footage of people checking ballots and and you know all these people sort of too lazy to to do anything other than to watch the live stream on Rumble and 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 uh, and work their way into the comments section and it, and <laughs> one one guy was uh yeah you know, he was doing a a voiceover of a live stream that was coming out of I think uh, Maricopa County in Arizona and he was he was saying he was just like what's that guy doing. It was, what's he, what's he marking on those papers there? <laughs> but, but you know, this guy's too lazy to even leave his house. He's doing his election monitoring from his computer. 
I mean, it's it's monitoring with a monitor. It doesn't get more monitored than that. So, I, I don't think that that's one thing that didn't happen is that, that you know, all, like all that concern about people showing up and intimidating voters. And there really wasn't anything like that. The uh, at least nothing that showed up on the news. That's for sure. There were no scuffles there or altercations of any kind. The cops didn't get called anywhere. No sheriff tried to barge into a polling center and demand to observe the recount or anything like that. It was all pretty normal. Yeah. The, the, the best news about last night was that everything was just okay. Everything about it. Democrats were widely expected to lose badly. That's one of the things where the okay comes in. This is partly from inflation. This is this is the devastatingly low approval ratings. And also they're running the mediocre candidates that we talked about in the last episode that were that were they were about as bland as toast without anything on it. I mean, they it was thank you you for choosing a new metaphor. You're welcome. (laughs) I almost said toast and beans to make it British. The Biden is not fucking mayonnaise or no spice or anything like that. <laughs> but Biden has 41% approval rating and Democrats have 46. So they're they're not looking good. I mean no, this this I is think I saw somewhere that this his, is how badly people disliked the Republican candidates. Like as a whole. Yeah. This is how badly their campaign strategy was. This is what I, I like all of these culture war issues that they've spent the last six, eight, ten months really hammering into everybody in every single race, all of these election fraud issues, all of these big steel issues, and it, none of these had the effect that they thought it was going to have. It would. It turned out what ha- what had an effect were you know they they kept talking about how the the Republicans kept talking about how they were campaigning on kitchen table issues like the economy and evidently critical race theory and and trans children and same-sex bathrooms and whatever. The, but, it, but instead, what people tended to care about were, were reproductive rights and, and I guess, I mean, but did they care about inflation if they voted for the Democrats? They, incur- they cared about inflation number two. See, they say that, but you don't ever know what, well, what do you mean by inflation? Who do you think is responsible for the inflation? And, yeah. and, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely like, there, there's, there was a poll that I saw uh, that was, uh, it was, they were, it was an exit poll talking to Republicans and Democrats to both. And the, you know, they were, uh, the poll, the question was asking whether, who they felt was responsible for inflation. And even among Republicans, it wasn't over, it was, you know, just around 50% were blaming Biden. And most people were blaming a global recession, which is, at least partly to blame for what's going on. And I mean, we even see that historically, and this is something that you'll hear on on every single news article, podcast, TV show, they have drilled it in that during midterms, whoever has the dominant party at the moment loses the midterms. That That is the historical precedent, overwhelmingly. That contributed to this expectation of a landslide with the with the inflation with everything else that not only were democrats expected to lose just by that they had these things stacked on top yeah, of it. I, I have the same i have the same up. criticism that i i i was talking about in the last episode about that 
all of these are based on all of these expectations are based on precedent. Very, very yeah. little is on uh, is on a modeling what's going on right now. So when these pundits keep re- repeating these same standard lines of, you know, this is what happens in midterms. This is what always happens in midterms. This is what always happens in midterms. They're just citing the same precedent precedent because it's safe to do that. You know, this has happened so many times before, so we're going to expect the same thing is going to happen again. But that instead of relying on all of that, we we need better predictive models for what people are going to do based on how they feel right now. You know, and one the, of the one like these- it's a, like what you were saying about the polling. There's a there's a real question whether we should be doing telephone polls at all anymore. Who the fuck answers their phone to some random that's, stranger? That's exactly and on my top point. It, who what is crank? Who gets what on the cr- absolute like just slobbering crank is going to answer a phone <laughs> when they don't know the number or it says suspected spam caller. Yeah, and on top of it, I mean, not only is it unknown, so pass right there because we we are all getting at least I am and I think a lot of other people my age and adjacent demographics are getting the majority of the calls that are from spam, the overwhelming majority. I don't know. If, if you're but, trying to sell somebody but, like fake Medicare insurance, then it's going to be older people or a, a reverse mortgage or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just just spam of various sorts. And then and then on top of it, who's the person who then picks up the phone? The person says, hey, do you have 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever they say to answer questions? Fucking no. Who has fucking time for that in the middle of the day? So something I was wondering the entire evening as I was hovering over CNN and refreshing the uh, election results was how would Wano Savin's candidates do? Last episode, we covered Doug Mastriano. Wait, isn't it 107? It's a made up name. I don't care. Last episode, we covered Doug Mastriano, Pennsylvania's <laughs> QAnon candidate for governor. And we introduced some of you, because some of you, a lot of you probably already know who 107 is, to one of Mastriano's handlers, aka Wayne Willett, the QAnon candidate whisperer. And I, I have to say that not much is giving me more pleasure than, than to say Doug Mastriano lost big time to Josh Shapiro. Like by double by digit. double digit margin by a double digit margin he lost next in 107 stable of candidates we have mark fincham the secretary of state uh running for secretary of state in arizona he's currently down by five with 75 percent of the vote counted so these numbers are from uh from november 10th at around 6 p.m christina caramo secretary running for secretary of state in in michigan lost by 15 points Carrie Lake, governor uh, running for governor in Arizona, is down by 0.8 right now with 76% reporting. So obviously, this is a super close race. So Carrie Lake. And we have the, the infamous Mariposa County, which is still I think it's Maricopa, County. but yeah. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Maricopa. So Carrie Lake had a lot of advantages going into this race. One is that she wasn't, she isn't nearly as overtly crazy sounding as Doug Mastriano. And the other is that she was already a television personality. She she was a local, a local TV anchor for years and years and years. So a lot of people were very familiar with her, especially the people who are going to go out and vote who still watch television and local news. So yeah, this is gonna this is definitely going to be a super close race. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, she could easily win it or lose it. it you know, it, 
And then there's D- crucially Arizona flipped when for Biden. Yeah, it's true. So so we don't know exactly what this is going to turn out to be. Then there's Diego Morales, uh, who ran for secretary of state and won in Indiana by 13.9 points. And then Jim Marchant, the original candidate that sidled up to 107. He he is up 0.2% in the Secretary of State for Nevada race with 84% reporting. He is probably going to take that one too, just because some of the counties that have not, uh, not finished uh, delivering their results are like Reno, which has a lot of votes and it's also leans heavily red. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we should keep in mind that there's something to be said for for mail-in ball- ballots in in many of these cases where mail-in ballots are going to show up later over the next few days depending on which state we're talking about and whatever percentage they represent in a given area. So you're you're talking about the ballots tend- that the mules are dropping off. Oh, the 2000 mules, of course. <laughs> well, but you these these ballots tend in uh, across the board they tend to be utilized most by Democrats. Yeah, yeah. So the the delay in I mean this is this is part of how the Republicans have claimed election fraud. They said, "Well, everything on election night was was looking red, and then it switched to blue after a few days because of these mail-in ballots. Clearly, it's fraud." But when you look at the numbers, the reality is more Democrats use mail-in ballots. So your expectation of it being the night of, and then it switches in the next few days, is not fraud, but they've used this as a huge part of the narrative. I don't know that there's anything that says that any that a state has to count mail-in ballots second. It seems like they could count them simultaneously, though. Well, that is true. And some states have made it so that, I forget which one's off the top of my head, you the mail-in ballots cannot start being counted until election yeah, yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. So the polls close, actually. Not just election day, but the closing of the polls is when you start counting all the ballots, yeah. regardless of their source. Which is which is part of the fuckery of the Republican Party to increase this kind of difficulty and, I think, increase this kind of narrative. I mean, maybe. I the It, it depends. Like, election rules are determined on a state-by-state basis, so- you're you you're gonna have to have those changes are only gonna show up in states that is gonna have a Republican Secretary of State. So yeah, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't, which is exactly I, what I, what Juan was trying. Well, that's to what make. he was trying to do with with running all these candidates. And now of the of the people that we just mentioned, those are less than a third of the total number of candidates that he was running in this election. Just that most of them didn't even make it out of the mid out of the primaries for the midterms. So it should be clear to everybody by now that he doesn't know what he's doing at all, because I'd say, what, about 80% of his candidates lost their races and about, about yeah. 60% of them didn't even get to the, the main, ele- the, the actual election. They didn't even make it out of the primaries. So the thing that's crazy to me about all this is not that this, this like total QAnon kook did this because I still think it is a really, it's a good idea. It's an absolutely solid idea. If you're trying to steal an election, this is that's that's a great way of going about it. Tactically, it's absolutely the right praxis. The thing that's crazy to me about all this isn't isn't that because we've talked about that is that I've been listening to his appearances on other people's live streams over the past two days, and he hasn't even talked about the election. He has 
He literally <laughs> has not brought it up in anything that I've listened to. I mean, maybe just this briefest moment talking about, you know, something to do with it, but not the fact that almost everybody he ran lost. You know, the I mean, he only really has he's got two solid wins probably with Morales and Marchant. And that's that's about it. You know, so what he's been doing instead of talking about the election is talking about the how like you know for example he showed up on David Nino Rodriguez's uh uh podcast which is Rodriguez is a boxer who's a big QAnon guy and he's he was he talks to to Juan Savin all the time and 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 Savin just keeps talking about how Trump's playing this long game and that he's trying to force the deep state to arrest him so that he has an excuse to announce that he's running for president in 2024 that's it. I mean, he's just like he just instead of addressing, you know, any of the uh, of his inadequacies running this pack that that has just crumbled around his feet, he's talking just nonsense. And and when he's not doing that, he's still talking about Nasara Jasara. And you well him him saying uh uh the deep state arresting him is that scene in Monty Python where the peasant is talking to the king and finally, the king gets frustrated with him and, and starts manhandling him. He says, look, look, look at the violence inherent in the system. <laughs> Do you see this? You all saw that. <laughs> I think what we're seeing in this midterm election is that the unity that we have been seeing during the Trump pre presidency and for a good while after his presidency going the fuck away it is really splitting apart at the seams uh, the this is this is from a washington post article that is titled how trump infighting and flawed candidates limited republican gains the republican outlook had gone from glossy to grim since the july campaign finance reports despite five dollar a gallon gasoline and a historically unpopular president democratic senate Democratic Senate candidates in pivotal states had big financial and polling leads. First-time Republican candidates propelled by former President Donald Trump, on the other hand, were viewed unfavorably in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Arizona, and Georgia. But Scott's, but Scott's hopes of a united GOP response were dashed as soon as Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, stood to address the, stood to address the same room. Send 20% of the money from their leadership packs, he told the senators, to the Senate Leadership Fund, SLF, SLF, an outside group controlled by his own loyalists, according to a person familiar with the matter. So what this means for the GOP is they are splitting their funds and they're making a division where a call has to be made. That's what this is indicating. You have to choose sides about the way going forward. Whether it's the loyalists with uh, what Scott is doing, or we're talking about Mitch McConnell, uh, the it's not simply the grand old party with MAGA and Trump at the helmet anymore. And establishment Republicans have been waiting for ages, especially McConnell. McConnell has made it very clear that he fucking hates Trump. Uh, they've been waiting, waiting for so long to shake loose Trump and his liability and the MAGA crowd because they're, they're established. They're, 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 well, I mean, they're trying to, but now you know, if they, if they get a majority and now they're going to vote for 
who's going to be the uh, the leader of the of the Senate. Scott really has a shot. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, like he really, he really does. does have a shot. I, I want to point out something about that post article because there's a lot of articles that are being written now about like, oh, how the 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 red wave was always going to be a phallus, you know, was always a mistake and it was never going to happen. The the same guy who wrote this article, he wrote an article on the 23rd titled Democrats fear the midterm map is slipping away. <laughs> <laughs> So he just has one in the holster for whatever. Yeah, happens. I mean, I, I think that that's what's happening in a lot of these is that there's an article written um, for both sides of this, ready to go out the door as soon as the, you know a, a clear leader is is showing up in the in the election results. So the huge public figures on on TV have clips about them for their obituary, ready to go, uh, uh, well before they even die. I mean, like CNN and things like that, like huge public figures. They already have the clips and, and the same thing for election night. They have clips for people winning and people losing ready to rock. Yeah. You know, like you were saying about the, uh, the establishment Republicans and I mean, really the establishment Republicans, uh, who knows what that even is, but the, there are definitely factions at work inside that party. And you seeing this play out on the ground right now in Florida and, and with Trump's comments just the other day about what, you know, what he would do and what he would tell people about if, DeSantis decides to run for president. Yeah, he says, I, I know some very bad things about him. <laughs> yeah. And, Think, and he it's says, really things his clear. wife doesn't even know. <laughs> no, no, things that. Oh, I, I don't remember what it is. I, <laughs> well, with DeSantis, he is he's the clear next challenger. He doesn't have a chance, though. For the next he doesn't have a chance. He doesn't have a chance in a primary against Trump. No way. I mean, all he has to do is insult his wife or say something about his dick or his hands. Who's to say? He just has to keep talking it, about how DeSantis was walking around with Biden after the hurricane. That's it. That's all he has to do. <laughs> he, all he has to do is talk about where was DeSantis when, they, when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Well, in all of this, what we are seeing in this midterm is, and we're going to talk about this more, the huge fucking L's that were racked up for the MAGA candidates. And that, I think, for the Republican Party demonstrates that his Trump's stranglehold is lifted. Uh, to how much, to what degree, I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not a soothsayer. But uh, that has been one thing that has made a lot of Republicans that fucking hate Trump so reluctant to openly go against him. See... His stranglehold is lifted, but it's not it's not like it's lifted because he's because it's actually lifted. It's lifted because he's not on Twitter. That's which the only which could change that could change now, now that Daddy Musk that could is change back. tomorrow. There is no telling what's gonna happen. If 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 Trump gets back onto Twitter, I mean, and maybe he won't go back onto Twitter because he's so financially wrapped up in truth social now that if he leaves, it'll collapse. If he goes to Twitter, he's gonna take all <laughs> yeah. of those users with him to Twitter. Who knows what he's going to do? He might be willing to take that as a loss and so that he can have his platform back. Cause once he gets back over there yeah. and he's, and he's, you know, he starts talking about the, you know, the, all the things that, that, that got him all the attention in the first place. I don't know. I, I don't think it's gonna, I, I don't think that his stranglehold is gone in any way whatsoever. 
I think that he. I think yeah, that I, he's I'm not just. Counting, I'm not counting him as, as down and yeah. out. I, I'm. I'm. I'm saying it's more of a, a loosening yeah. of the grip. Is is the much more accurate way to describe it, and largely because it, it is. It has been demonstrated that him appointing candidates through his endorsements does not mean that they're going to win. Only anymore. while he's not on Twitter. I mean, yeah. if he gets back onto Twitter, <laughs> I think that he I, yeah. has. He's going to have that same. That, that same sort of uh, influence over everything that he had before. And on the note of Florida and, and DeSantis, DeSantis is important in these, in these midterms. We expected him to win, but for the most part, by we, I mean, <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a wide uh, expectation across media and analysts and the rest of it that he was going to win without much difficulty. Look who he was running against. There's no way he was going to yeah. lose. They they yeah. pulled somebody out of a cemetery to run against him. <laughs> what makes him significant here is that his state carried the majority of the seats in the house. Yeah. Well, that's what that which that's is going to be uh, tied directly. Yeah, to him. So I I just I did the tour of of MAGA live streams all over the internet on election day. So this is what I learned while I was uh, watching Charlie Kirk's show was. I was watching them just go. I watched that I was one go, too. I was watching them go through these <laughs> stages of elation and grief and despondency, and then just soul searching <laughs> depression, and then back to wait, there's still hope, and then you know all all the way through rationalization, and they and then they finally came down to this very ecstatic proclamation that there was a red wave in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and because they were just they, they were just so struck by how terrible all of these candidates, these Republican candidates were doing across the board, except in places like Florida, South Carolina, Nevada, you know, where it's like, where what do you expect? Of course, they're going to do fine. Ben Shapiro, when I was listening to the podcast that I mentioned earlier, was even mocking with with a with an affectation of Trump. The, the ridiculousness of the candidates that were being run by the MAGA crowd. He was really talking a lot about the poor candidates that were being run. And he was not, at least in this episode, he was not a fan of Trump, even though he said a few times, I voted for him, I voted for him, and then moved on to the next thing that he was saying with the caveat. That's the aside. same rationalization that you'd get on all of these, from all of these different guys on all their live streams. I was hearing the same stuff. That all this, you know, all oh, the candidates were so bad. They 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 ran such a terrible campaign. The, there wasn't enough money spent. The Democrats have a better organization. All of the, like, just one excuse after another for how shitty they'd done. Nobody willing to reflect on how terrible their their policies are. Nobody, nobody willing to reflect on the possibility, just the remotest possibility, that most of the country is not for forced pregnancies. Yeah, just unwilling to unwilling to inter, unwilling to even slightly entertain that. I mean, like I, I heard, um, I think it was like Jack Posobiec was actually saying this that the well, you know, and uh, you know, among uh, like Gen Z females, uh, ab abortion rights are really important. <laughs> <laughs> They really like them. <laughs> no fucking way. None of what happened in Florida should surprise anybody. While the Republicans are trying to whip up all this momentum before the election, 
The Democrats were sending out these desperate fundraising emails. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many I got from everybody all across the country. But the, the one that really stood out was the one that came from Charlie Chris campaign. Have you given up on me, friend? <laughs> My- this, is, this is the most codependent opening I've ever fucking heard. My staff tells me that they've reached out multiple times because we're not on track to meet our final goal of the election. But with less than a day until our deadline, not enough people have answered the call. So we're still falling short. We have to take this threat seriously. If we fail to reach our fundraising goals, DeSantis could win a second term. If that happens, we'll get all the same and worse when he totally abandons Florida to run for president in 2024. Wow, it's it's not it's 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 not even about the policies almost. It's like he's going to leave us. <laughs> what are you talking about? I obviously the Democrats knew DeSantis was going to win and they they dug up Charlie Crist and and sort of just like wheeled him out there on a dolly like Hannibal Lecter so that he could take the bullet. <laughs> just fucking phoning it in for this one. And- just like Jack Jack Posobiec said. <laughs> The number one exit polling issue was abortion. And as I mentioned earlier, followed by inflation. This is from the same Washington Post article. Exit polls conducted by AP VoteCast found 27% of votes cited abortion as the most important issue for their vote, compared to 31% who said inflation. 11% of voters said crime was the most important, exactly the same share as said gun violence. That was that was the main issue that came up in a uh, in the governor's race in New York. That's what the, the all of the conservatives were saying afterwards. Is that well, the New Yorkers, you know, they they had their chance, but they decided to vote for crime. <laughs> yeah, and we saw in the run up to this, the ads from Republicans, it kind of at the eleventh hour started pushing the crime narrative. Heavily. I mean, that's nothing new. That that's that's. Uh, that's, that's a very old drum. That's yeah, that's a tab. very old drum. But uh, of course, suddenly now uh, crime is off the airwaves again, and we're we're back. Everybody to the wants usual. crime. I voted for crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we give you our theories as to what happened, one obvious point: the people whose job it was to win but did not win should go do something else. Now, we're speaking specifically of the Republican leadership of the House and the Senate, and of the RNC. It's nothing personal. Some of them are no doubt nice people but they took hundreds of millions of dollars to paint the map red, and they didn't. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean they should be jailed. It does mean they shouldn't be promoted. No one should ever be rewarded for failure. If there's a truly conservative principle in life, it's the principle of the meritocracy. You reward excellence. You do not reward mediocrity. And when you do, things fall apart. So, Jules... I didn't even know jailing them was on the table until you <laughs> brought it up. Them. <laughs> so, Jules, what happened? Now that everyone, <laughs> now that we're all settling back down and, and President Brandon is enjoying his best midterm performance for a first term president in something like 40 years or something like that. And we have the we have the, the slimmest majority, I think, that we've had since the 20s in the House. I think we should ask ourselves what happened. It's those goddamn young people again. It is the young people. It's always the youths. It is the young people. The youths are always getting in the way. Young voters have upset the establishment uh, from probably, I would guess, time immemorial. But we can 
only really say anything meaningful in recent memory and probably the 20th century at the very least. Uh, but in predictions uh, and uh, in terms of stuffy candidates, they surge in participation to upset whatever it's supposed to be. And uh, I mean, in recent mem memory, we, we heard ad, ad nauseum about how young voters came out to put Obama in office in 2008. I'm sure we all, not all of us maybe, but I think, I think a lot of folks remember exactly how much of a narrative that was for Obama getting into office, how it shook everybody's expectations. And this is coming right back to our ideas about polling and our models about how this works. It's always those young voters is, with, with their, with their litter boxes. <laughs> They're always on my lawn. That is the worst part because I don't have a lawn. I live in Seattle. Who has a fucking lawn? Well, the and then with with Bernie Sanders, the the Bernie Bros were pretty young. The Bernie Bros were pretty young, and it turns out uh, uh, not necessarily bros. <laughs> but you look at you look at the the age split of progressive voters and who favored. In the primaries, who favored Bernie versus who favored Hillary? Her being obviously the right wing version of the of the spectrum between the two, and it was an exact proportional breakdown from youngest overwhelmingly favoring Bernie to eldest overwhelmingly favoring Hillary. And I mean, it it was just like a a perfect pie chart. And then I mean, we even had Corbyn in the UK, the same thing. And again, we have uh, AOC. Yeah, it was the same uh, thing when she got in, elected. In it was largely younger people that were voting for. And then uh, even in these midterms, we have the same thing occurring once again, where, where the narrative, which it, I, I say narrative as if it's not true. The narrative is there, but it is reflecting a reality of how these demographic segments are voting. Uh, I mean, we can, we can look at uh, a network exit poll, which showed that 18 to 29, 60, which was 12% of the voters, 63% were in favor of Democrats and 35% Republicans. And I'm only really even shocked that 35% were even voting for the Republicans. That That's almost more shocking to me than, uh, than anything else. And then uh, the breakdown goes 30 to 44, 51% uh, to 47%. 45 to 64, 44% to 54%, and then 65 plus, we have 43% to 55% for Republicans, respectively. And, uh, I mean, we, we see an obvious age breakdown here uh, in, in, in this example, but we can, we can look to many more. I, this, this, is not, like, this is not a surprising breakdown. The, obviously, younger people tend to you know this that that this whole you know way of looking at uh at younger voters as disrupting the the establishment or the way that things are supposed to be depending on who you're talking to is incredibly old i mean they, like they, you know there there's stuff from ancient greece where the where older people are talking about how the kids today have no values and they've lost they've <laughs> lost all their sense of morality this is not a new thing this isn't something that has to do with our specific civilization the but 
the breakdown is is there and i think it's worthwhile spending time on this and and wondering well why do younger people tend to vote differently than than older people why do they tend to have different values why do they tend to have a different idea of morality than older people tend to have and there you know there are there are things that change in a lot of people's minds as they get older and they realize that they're that that all of this all these years are catching up to them and a lot of these fears of just aging and mortality are taken advantage of in politics to scare the fucking shit out of us and me speaking as somebody in you know in this 45 to 64 uh, 64 age group that you know I'm I'm in this cohort that is supposed to be absolutely freaked out when there's things like inflation or the stock market drops what's that song all of the kids scare the shit out of me. Well, I'm not scared of kids, but or of the stock market or <laughs> of inflation, but but we're but this is an age group where all of that all of those messages get get directed. Yeah, the the and yeah. it's coincidentally this works right into the Republicans pro business bailout sort of socialism for corporations but not citizens messaging. And if they can if they can terrify people enough that their retirement savings is going to be wiped out by woke Democrats and 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 Bernie's socialist policies, then they have a shot at getting those people to to vote for for that for their candidates, because those are the candidates that are going to save them. Those are the ones that are going to they're that are going to work for the economy and low and keep the prices at the pump down. Those are the ones that are are gonna take care of you know make sure you're gonna have enough money when you're when you're old but me well we we have we we have the we have the doom and gloom brimstone and fire narrative in the right wing of of the Christian church that sounds eerily similar to the right wing of the Republican party and conservatives in general that is there to scare the shit out of you. It is it is talking about crime and all these foreigners coming in to steal your money and take your jobs. And it's it's all about the the young people whose uh, whose total morality free lifestyles are going to unravel the very fabric of society as we know it. And and all of a sudden you're going to be poor and attacked in your home and you see all of that all of that fear mongering about crime and immigration and unemployment and unemployment and you know losing your job or your what or, or your retirement account that only works if you keep people in this constant state of precarity that that only works if you if you have this if you have privatized healthcare with the exorbitant medical expenses and where one major medical uh, medical problem can bankrupt you you know that that messaging only works when you always when you when most of the citizens are teetering on the edge, yeah. When when the, when they're and scared, the ironic when they're thing scared is- of getting into a car accident because you know they weren't able to pay for their insurance this month, or they're worried that they're going to lose their job because they think it's going to be given to some illegal immigrant that's coming across the border. The ironic thing to me is that these very things are addressed in a substantial way by treating the alienation and the underlying causes that we know are at no that's home. the big secret behind all of this is that these are all addressable in a nation with as much wealth <laughs> I mean, as the united states it is addressable to to keep people from this this place of precarity but the problem is is that nobody wants to do it 
You know, this they, yeah, that's they just don't want to do it. And and we 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 even we even see this sort of thing throughout the 20th century. Even even in 1917 in in Russia during the October Revolution and during the Russian Civil War, we had a huge majority of the major participants in it turned out to be people who were under 30. Uh, and and we saw similar things in the Arab Spring, and we can look throughout history, I think. But notably, this is not just a phenomenon in the political system where you're voting for parties. This is also a, also a social phenomenon when we see actual revolutions. Just read it. This is from the this is from the American generations. This is from the politics of American generations. How age affects attitudes and voting behavior from Pew Research Center. As one famous longitudinal study of Bennington College women put it, as one famous longitudinal study of Bennington College women put it, God damn it, as one famous longitudinal study of Bennington College stop women stop put pa- it, stop pausing there. What the fuck? stop pausing on women. Don't pause there. College. As one famous longitudinal study of Bennington College women put it, oh, they're college okay, women. Okay. That that makes so much more. All right. Yeah, yeah. Call it, yeah. As one fa- as one famous longitudinal study of Bennington com- College women put it, through late childhood and early adolescence, ad- attitudes and relatively malleable. You got to make it bigger. You got to make it bigger. <laughs> I'm going to just start over. And, <laughs> and then start from the top. 150 because I'm getting over. There we there go. We and then go. you're going to get some glasses. There we go. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> get it? You won't. <laughs> As one famous longitudinal study of Bennington College women put it, through late child through late childhood and early adolescence, Attitudes are relatively malleable, with the potential for dramatic change possible in late adolescence or early adulthood. But greater stability sets in at some early point, and attitudes tend to be increasingly persistent as people age. And what we see is from uh, from the Pew Research Center again, the younger to the older split has a huge percentage in 18 to 29 years of age that is what they call bystanders. So this is this is the chunk of the demographics that are not are not left or liberal and they're not right or conservative. They're people who are not either registered to vote or politically active. They don't have strong opinions in any particular direction. And that goes all the way down to 3% in a steep drop off towards the 65 and over crowd. But we see that similar chunk appearing in the more hardline conservative at the top of it in the 65 plus crowd. And I think that one thing that we're seeing as people are getting older, it's not everything, but I think one part of it is that a lot of people in their youth that don't necessarily have strong opinions or aren't politically active or aware in their later years may simply be applying whatever their parents said or thought, or maybe applying more traditional ideas. And that 17% that we see just reappears later on as conservative. Mm -hmm. I think that is a real possibility. Yeah. And, uh, and there's also something to be said for this idea of traditional 
values or older ideas or whatever it is, whatever your parents' ideas and grandparents' ideas are being associated with the conservatives and reactionaries, where those ideas are, by their very definition, going backwards. They are in in a a the right wing is all about not e- I don't even mean this derogatorily. This is their whole shtick is entirely about ideologically being for preserving the institutions or going back to a previous state of whatever the extant institutions are. So in this case, capitalism in the state. And uh, right now in the United States, we have Christianity as the dominant religion. So the church, the state, capitalism, those are the dominant institutions. See, this doesn't surprise me at all, but what I don't see often or hear from people often is an explanation for why this is so. And I think that I think that the part of what we're seeing is is that there is a search for stability in the middle. I'm 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 saying I want to emphasize this is part of it. This is not the entire explanation. But I think as people get older, they're getting more concerned about their mortality, as you were saying, and more concerned about the stability of their lives. And in the search for that stability they're looking for something that seems familiar and something that they know and right but what i you, mean yeah i mean but why do, why is why is that comforting i think that's the thing that doesn't get addressed i think the 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 that that observation is something that that gets talked about but you know why why is stability comforting and i i think it's because old people are i don't i don't think we acknowledge how much people get more fearful as they age and I, I, you know, just yeah. the 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 decline in your in your physical ability, the sense that you you're not as strong as you used to be, you can't you can't move as quickly as you used to move. All of these things have have this effect on just the way we see the world in general, and we get more afraid. And people tend to retract from strangers, and they try to find solace in these groups, and you know, the and the you know comfort from like minded people that don't challenge their thoughts. And yeah, you know, and that, and all of that has this more and more sort of um, petrifying effect on the way that that people see the world as they age, and they get more and more sort of stuck in the way that they do things. This is why older people don't listen to new music. <laughs> yeah, you know, they it really yeah. is. They, they their their tastes are yeah. frozen when they had more physical power, when they were when they were younger, when they were stronger, when they were less afraid. That's where their ta- that's where their tastes get frozen. And I think that there are obvious exceptions for this, but, and I don't know if there's an antidote or if this is just the way the fuck it is, but the, but I think that really does explain it. And, and this is our political parties have, have evolved, you know, over time to take advantage of these different attributes. You know, the, the, the Democrats, while they're, you know, they are absolutely not a left party, but the, but they, they, they present themselves as progressive. And as as uh, encouraging change and making things better for the future, that's not in any way what anybody in the Democratic Party is really doing. The but or has or, done or has done historically, you know the. But I mean, there was a time when the Republicans were the progressives. That wasn't that long ago, you know the no, and wasn't long at all. And the. You know, so the that's but that's the messaging that they want to send out there. Those are the that's the attention they're trying to draw. 
the same thing, the, the same goes for the Republicans. They are very much trying to draw the attention from the people that are afraid. The ones that, like I mentioned, are afraid of losing their retirement account during a recession or when the stock market drops. Those are the ones. And the same, those are, the, that's why the same people that are talking about all this shit about immigrants are the same ones trying to sell you fucking gold on their websites. <laughs> It's why it's a, it's the same people. That's why because you're the, because the, the people who buy cryptocurrency up, as as yeah as as a hedge against inflation by, by Jesus, <laughs> but but that's because you are the same goddamn demographic. If you're on Tucker Carlson or if you listen to fucking Glenn Beck, then you are that demographic that also is going to be afraid of losing your retirement, and you're that means you're going to buy the gold. That's why those are those are available on those in, from those same people. Yeah, and I I have friends, close friends in my life who have gone from when I have known them for the entirety that I have known them being atheist, leftist, radical, all the things to now that we're all in our mid 30s, I'm seeing them one by one dropping off like flies, picking one of them picking religion, another one voting for Trump. And and all of these things, I mean, different manifestations, but all of these things that are in total contradiction to the people that I knew in high school. And I think it is it is not necessarily in each of these cases out of fear, uh, per se. No, it is. And it's the, sa- it's the same there, reason there, why people move to the suburbs when they have families. Yeah, but there there is something to be said for uh, these people that I know in my own life. As I as I'm growing older, I'm I'm watching them do things that are are totally contradictory to the people that I've known as far as defining them by these these values and these ideas and ideologies, uh, these characteristics that I've known them to have the whole time, and they they're just washing away as as soon as we get to the mid 30s. No, it, it comes it, that all happens at the same time that people start comparison shopping toasters. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also something to be said about when these populations are being measured. So young people are growing up in an era where new values have been introduced to the culture and the time and the place. And are accustomed to that. So as those trends shift, as those values and those beliefs and whatever political or economic transformations are happening in a cultural or civilization are are going on during the period that people are young, those younger people may be favoring those changes or at least uh, accepting of those changes and moving towards greater changes in their ideology. And then as they get older and their ideas get a little bit more stuck and, and that transition goes from being much more malleable and open to new ideas and taking in different possibilities and different models and being able to change in that respect to being steadfast and only listening to the same kind of music that you l- listened to 25 years ago and no new artists and no new tastes. Well, whatever that was is stuck in the past and therefore becomes inherently reactionary. Well, it has to be reactionary. And whatever- this, uh, and there's, It's not an accident that this is also the same crowd that talks about how good things used to be 
And for some reason, this mythological era is the 1950s when everything was, you know, when everything that was fun was illegal. Uh, you weren't allowed to be openly gay and women couldn't have bank accounts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. And then, you know, whatever, whatever is the case now as, as a normative, uh, whatever is normative now is going to be the past in the future. And in order to go back to now, you have to be reactionary. But we, we've been looking back at the 50s, though, for 60 years. Yeah, what is it? About it's not the like 50s? anybody's going back, and I mean, see, so some of this you can tell, like the 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 generation that is setting this narrative, because that's what's about the fifties. It's about who, about what generation was young in the fifties, and you yeah. look at the you look at the the age, the way the age skews, and you know, in the in the House and in the Senate, you look how old some of these fucks are, and you see, like, oh yeah, that's when they were in high school. <laughs> You know, eventually <laughs> yeah. this is going to go away and you're going to, I mean, you might have some people, you know, you, this might, this, this might disappear for a while, but I'm not so sure that it will because right before it was the fifties, it was, this was the same crowd that was talking about, you know, the, the, like, you know, like, well, the last, you know, the last time that our nation really had any valor was in world war two. And now the people who fought in world war two are almost all dead. They're not the ones telling this story anymore. You know, the people that are telling yeah. that story are their fucking kids. And there, therein lies where I, I have a, a question and not really any answer to it. It's something that I've thought about and I, I even want to possibly explore more in a future episode. But I mentioned that I was shocked at the... 30 whatever percent that actually voted Republican who are in the Gen Z demographic. And I really don't get them. I really don't get that crowd at all. In my maybe just personal experience, I can't fathom why somebody when they're that young wants to favor what to me seems like these old fogey ideas. And maybe this is just my my mapping of of these two to reality, but I, I imagine all these people as being, uh, you know, the kid who reminds the teacher about homework, growing up and becoming an adult, and 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 then uh, voting. But I don't. I have a lot of difficulty wrapping my re my head around Gen Z and younger millennial people who are not just conservative, but like really reactionary. I don't I don't really have an answer for it, but it absolutely exists and it it doesn't seem to map to me to simply having different tastes because the things when we're when we're looking at interests for young people that map to political ideologies, everything conservative is totally out to fuck Gen Z and millennials and everybody else, but especially that group disproportionately but if we look at it from the point of view of identity, you want to join a group, you want to join a certain identity and have a sense of belonging, which has a huge role to play in why people are participants in political parties. The irrational uh, being a huge component in those cases, too, it still doesn't make sense to me, but I don't really know. I don't I don't have a good answer for that.
With all of this disappointment for Republicans, you might wonder, how are Donald Trump and his inner circle taking it? And you wouldn't be surprised to find out they are not taking it well. <laughs> I, I, have, I, I have to wonder who, who it's worse to work for, Trump or Kanye? They're both such fantastic megalomaniacs. I was just reading this Rolling Stone article, and they, they were talking about, uh, they were talking to some people who had been uh, staffers for Kanye, and one guy was fired because he was wearing yellow. <laughs> he was first criticized for his outfit, and then the next day he was fired. And then uh, two other guys were talking about how they spent all night long, because Kanye would have these brainstorms, like, I want this to happen. These two guys, they spent all night long 3D modeling a shoe design, and it never made it, it was never used for anything. All it was was a social media post. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't, well, of course, I, I don't of know course. who it's worse to work for. This is from Asawan Subsang at Rolling Stone. The Republican Party shit the bed so bad on Tuesday night. That's how one long time reporter. Oh, oh shit, I already fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> the Republican Party shit the bed so bad on Tuesday night. That's how one longtime GOP strategist who worked on several high profile 2022 races put it just hours after midnight. The operative wasn't alone in his misery. A total of 16 Republican strategists, grassroots activists, grassroots activists, Donald Trump confidants, and elected officials began venting to Rolling Stone Tuesday night some completely unprompted, about the party's disappointing midterm results. The general sentiment- Is this, is this from fucking Almost Famous, where, where they're, they're just embedded in, with the troops well, No, here. it was a party. <laughs> I mean, what's it what? was at a party. Um, yeah, well, I, 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 I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it, really, it really sounds like Almost Famous, where I, I want to I hear that. And, and then next, one of the staffers jumped off the roof. No, this is, this is straight out of Veep. <laughs> <laughs> the general sentiment, the GOP had historically botched the midterms, had good reason to panic, and should feel humiliated. What the fuck is happening, one veteran Republican consultant asked in the middle of the night. Other notable or recurring messages from the rest of the 16 included, holy shit, oh no, a floating dumpster fire <laughs> gif, a sardonic stop the count pronouncement, the Helmo theme. The blame, the blame games are this are <laughs> the blame games for this are going to be crazy, not good, and what a disaster. So he, so this is this is not well taken, is what, <laughs> what we're hearing. <laughs> and this sounds exactly like it's out of Veep. The shock and at times devastation reflect the missed expectations of the GOP elite, conservative movement leaders, and Trump's own inner orbit. After months of crowing at the coming midterm bloodbath, Republicans watched as several candidates, including some MAGA favorites, were dispatched by their Democratic opponents. It was a red wedding. We did hear that from Ben Still, Shapiro. Still, what a nerd. <laughs> On Wednesday, the balance of power in both chambers of Congress remained up in the air, and across the board, the performance of Trump-backed candidates failed to meet conservative expectations, which had been further inflated by weeks of favorable polling results in the campaign's final stretch. Again, the fucking polls. We, we keep coming There's back to them. There's a serious problem with the way that we're modeling this stuff. It, it, it is no good. Nobody should ever believe these polls. And in fact, don't ever watch CBS or NBC ever again. <laughs> 
three MAGA candidates for governorships, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, Tudor Dixon in Michigan, and Tim Michael in Wisconsin, lost their bid for election. In Georgia, Trump's, picks for, uh, Trump's pick for Senate, Herschel Walker, notable head injury sufferer, is now headed to a runoff with incumbent Senator Raphael Warlock. He's headed to a runoff? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> J.D. Vance scored a narrow victory in his Senate race in Ohio, and and we are so happy for that. I cannot wait to see what happens with Senator Vance. That's going to be the best. It's going to be a shit. This is the senator from Teal Capital. (laughs) J.D. Vance scored a narrow victory in his Senate race in Ohio, but ran well behind the 25-point margin of victory secured by GOP Governor Mike DeWine. That's because everybody, because nobody likes Vance. He he's just not a pleasant fucking person. He's not charismatic. He's not anything. He, he's got he's, nothing he's a going. paper candidate. I, I mean, if you could make oatmeal into a person, Again, you got uh, it. You almost said mayonnaise. <laughs> For Trump, the pain was particularly acute in Pennsylvania, where Trump's team had planned election challenges and a quote dress rehearsal for 2024. In the Senate race, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman managed a narrow victory over celebrity TV doctor Mehmet Oz, whom Trump had supported. And in the governor's contest, a race with real implications for the 2024 election, Mastriano lost to Democrat Josh Shapiro by double digits. At Mar-a-Lago- Double digits. And and Shapiro was was so fucking nothing of a candidate as well. I mean, we have nothing candidates up and down the board. At Mar-a-Lago, where Trump had hosted what was supposed to be a triumphant watch party on election night, the the twice-impeached ex-president was seething. According to a source familiar with the matter, Trump was privately ranting about Oz. Among Trump's many complaints, Oz's amateurish campaigning and the TV doctor's inability to win big against an opponent who had a stroke. (laughs) Oh my God, if he was on Twitter, just imagine what it would look like. It would have been a frenzy, a flurry. (laughs) Trump may have seen some of this coming. Over the summer, he confided in some of those close to him that he was starting to think Oz was going to, quote, fucking lose, as Rolling Stone recorded. (laughs) As Rolling Stone reported at the time. In recent months, Trump, whose own inability to accept his 2020 loss to, to President Joe Biden, led to the deadly January 6th Capitol assault huddled with various attorneys and right-wing organizations that were laying groundwork for challenging the, legit- challenging the legitimacy of 2022 elections, especially if there ended up being a tight race in Pennsylvania. At this point, it is unclear to what extent these plans for Oz or any other candidate will be executed. As of early afternoon on Wednesday, it was also unclear whether Trump would publicly accept the disappointing results, or if he would try to regurgitate this fraud lies or if he would try to regurgitate his fraud lies that dominated the aftermath of the 2020 election. The former president is still weighing his options and how, quote, the former president is weighing his options and how all in he will go on challenging certain races, says a person with knowledge of the state of play. Quote, right now, I don't know. Just know that he is livid today. Trump is also focusing on preserving his own standing in the Republican Party. Another person familiar with the situation says the ex-president is now adamantly keeping track of which GOP figures try to blame him during the fallout from the midterms, and which prominent Republicans begin to seriously inch away from him and toward possible 2024 rivals like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. 
So there it is. Trump is coming up with his hit list. It he has to be the blueberry girl in Willy Wonka in his in his fucking presidential suite, so to speak. No, no, no. <laughs> After hearing all this, what does this election mean for all the for the rest of us? For many of us, seeing MAGA dreams sink like this means that the entire country probably isn't going to catch fire just yet. But it also means that we still have all the same problems that we had before the election. Dems not losing much ground is definitely better than having Republicans in charge, but it's still not good. By many other countries' standards, the Democrats would be considered conservative too. So we really don't have a left-wing party in the United States. We have- Not even we close. Have, Bernie Sanders is concerted, consi- considered to be- just barely liberal in most other post-industrial nations. Exactly. This and, and, and other liberal parties, he would be kind of on the right edge of it. So this is a bit better, but it's not a win for anyone except the corporations. Both parties are entirely captured by their bases. One of them thinks they can gain power by forced pregnancies and banning CRT, and the other one's only message is that everything will be fine as long as you keep voting for us. And a lot of people believe that message. We, we saw it in action in this election during the, during the lead up. This is from a tweet from a Vox senior correspondent. I'm undecided today on whether to order a pizza from a pizza place that is good but not great, or instead to try a new place that serves cyanide and broken glass. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's the whole message. I mean, it is funny, but that is the entire message. Except he doesn't mean this in a sarcastic sort of way. This isn't a tongue-in-cheek comment. He means this seriously. He means this like, well, how could you choose between the two of these? And he's right. If you're if you're remotely sane and you're not totally caught up in this in this like fabricated culture war that's meant to capture everybody's attention, then this is the only way you can vote. If you're going to vote, you're going to vote Democrat because this is the party that doesn't want Confederate statues and doesn't want to uh, to to ban books. This is the party that doesn't want Christian nationalists in the in the Constitution and running and in the Supreme Court. This is the party that pretty much just wants to keep going with the status quo. That's the, the Democrats are the party of the status quo. They don't mind inching to the right. The st- they don't mind inching to the left, but they pretty much just want it to stay the same, which. For fuck's sake, that's the definition of conservative. That is the wildest part about it, is that we have reactionaries who are dragging the the Overton window to the right every single election cycle and inching closer and closer to fascism and seeing how far we can go without using the term fascism openly. And in many cases, actually openly saying, nah, we're that's we're OK with that. Just not from the actual uh, politicians' mouths. But we have that Overton window shifting ever farther right every single election cycle because the only answer that we have from the farthest left party and the farthest left candidates is, well, not these guys and compromise. But when you compromise with somebody who's dragging you, your compromise is always going to shift their direction each cycle. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. And, you know, and, and this comparison between you know the 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 decent pizza place that isn't great, and then the cyanide and broken glass, it's not wrong, and it's and it's even it's probably even a healthy attitude for handling an emergency. But what happens after the election? 
we still have two parties that are that are each totally complacent about Israel as an apartheid state. Neither has any issue with human rights abuses and lawlessness in Saudi Arabia and giving them weapons at the same time. No one has any energy has any energy at all to seriously address climate change. And no one at the national level is willing to seriously address wealth inequality, corporate influence in politics, mass incarceration, the causes of high college tuition, not just student debt, but why it got so expensive in the first place, and currently the real causes of our inflated economy, which are going to be things like higher materials costs, decreased capacity, all the deindustrialization of the United States and financialization of our corporations. That means that we've stopped manufacturing and instead we're just, everybody's in like constant austerity measures. Companies are always trimming. They're always trying to reduce these extra expenses. Whereas before, a lot of money was put into things like employee pensions, employee training, employee retention. There's always there's there's always a crisis, so you constantly have to make sacrifices. Except the only people who are making sacrifices are the majority, and in particular, demographics who are oppressed and otherwise marginalized. That's the deal with austerity measures. Austerity measures only affect the people who are using these services or receiving these benefits. When we're when we when we cut things like employee pensions or we 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 cut healthcare coverage and and reduce healthcare coverage, employee paid coverage, which it shouldn't even be employee paid. It sh- this should we should have socialized medicine for fuck's sake. They pay less money long. for better healthcare in other countries. That that's in insane. every other industrialized nation, they pay less money for better healthcare. As Cory Doctorow wrote recently, the most the most acute shortages, chips, cars, building supplies, are all in sectors that are heavily monopolized dominated by firms that bought or crushed their rivals, stamping out any domestic capacity before it could develop. These monopolists, heavily backed by private equity, led the pack when it came to selling off, laying off, and draining reserves. So that's what's meant by financialization. I mean, as pioneered by GE's famous CEO, Jack Welch, (laughs) who really, he set the tone for all of this. He was the first one to do this. He took over GE and decided that they had too many employees, so he just had these mass layoffs to trim all of these expenses. This sounds really crazy familiar, Sean. Except he did this 40 years ago. The, yeah. And so he, he did this because he didn't see employees as, a, as, a, as an on-paper benefit to their production capacity. He just saw them as an expense. Their wages, their health care, their pensions, they were all an expense. So he was just cutting expenses. And the result of it is that he set a trend Probably not on purpose, but everybody saw just how great GE was right afterwards. Man, that company was just lean and mean and aggressive, and they had all these cash reserves. It was just shareholders was just getting paid out left and right. Except look at them now. Where is GE now? It's nothing. It barely even exists. They sell their brand to other manufacturers to make products because the brand still means something to <clears throat> because the brand still means something to people, but the company itself doesn't really do anything. I mean, this is, it's pretty much it, like the, the Trump stakes of manufacturing. Importantly, this is, this, is, this is the same thing that's been said for the last fucking 150 years or so, where, of course, of course, all products, all services, everything in any company, everything that is a, a widget, that we could have possibly imagined must come from 
labor, and resources. That's the only way that it works. So when you, when you have a company that's making things, the only way that wealth generation can occur is with the labor power of the workers that are creating that. And when you're hacking away at your labor force, what you're doing is hacking away at the company itself. But it's, it's as much as you can stretch the limits of those people who are producing the product is simply just exploiting them more. But somebody still has to make the thing. And at the end of the day, all wealth generation comes from that. To make that happen, what they've done is they've shifted manufacturing out of the US to low regulation places like China and Vietnam, where they actually can legally exploit the workers. And so by doing so, they've reduced the US manufacturing capacity and made a profit at the same time. So what's happened is that we, we've completely, you know, we, we have deindustrialized the United States. That's why we, you, you couldn't get a face mask during the beginning, the beginning months of COVID. And when you did, they came from China because nobody makes them here. You can't make them here. Yeah. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't arrange the, the production facilities to make this happen. So we had no, we, we had when, no reserves in place when the, when the pandemic hit and we, you know, so people were wearing bandanas and, and fucking socks on their faces. <laughs> and 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 you know just like Dr. O said is that you know a lot of these a lot of this has to do with it's not exclusively monopoly price gouging but a lot of these areas where materials are more expensive are areas that have been heavily monopolized I don't even necessarily per se have a problem with deindustrialization entirely where the 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 dominant economic activity in a in a country like the United States shifts from uh, uh, steelworking or manufacturing cars or, or whatever else it is to other forms of economic activity that we might imagine, but I I do have a problem with the the economic forces that are that are making that happen and why they're making that happen, why that's a necessity, an economic necessity for these major corporations, because they're competing in a global scale. So the way that they do that is by exploiting those workers in in China. Well, that's why they, they, they've uh, left here you know, because these, we have worker protections. That's why they left. But I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily believe that bringing industry back to the United States per se is in of itself a value i think what we're seeing is simply the hegemony of uh these these western corporations to use the global scale to exploit workers in each country in the most efficient way possible it's efficient for their profits but it's not efficient for human uh activity human growth human health human happiness mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah i see the, i see what you're the, saying you know, the it, it's not a problem to outsource labor to another country, but the problem is, is that there are other countries that do not have worker protections to the same extent that we have in the United States. So once once that outsourcing happens, then you just you know you're just offshoring the exploitation. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's not even necessarily useful to bring it back here. What we really want is to deal with the problem, which is this global hegemony of these massive corporations there 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 i think there is some benefit to bringing it back here though and it and 
I, I agree about that about the global hegemony of the corporations. I mean, they're 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 able to just basically be lawless because they they can just move around to different places and you know like through legal means are are able to avoid most restrictions that are put in place on them. Uh, like it's amazing what can happen when you start throwing money at a problem, especially when that money is in the the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. I do think there is a benefit to bringing it back here because I think a lot of this deindustrialization, you know, a lot of attention gets put on social media as one of the big changes that has led to the that has led to this MAGA movement and uh, QAnon and uh, you know the spread of online conspiracies, misinformation and disinformation. But I also think it is the lack of good jobs. The, you know, I, I think that yeah. has a lot to do with it, and that's also that's also an effect of moving a lot of these industries into into other countries where they can exploit the workforce is that they took what were decently paying jobs and made them disappear from the United States especially during a time when there were there were much stronger and greater number of so unions. you you have you have a, a, an entire population of people that have a memory of of even if it's their parents making more money they uh they need something to do to be honest. <laughs> when I was your age, I I went to I went to college for a nickel. I I paid I paid a nickel and I worked full time at seven jobs. I, what I mean what I mean by that is that we don't just need to keep people busy so they don't get up to shenanigans. What 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 I mean is that. Idle hands lead to Republican right, voting. Right, exactly. <laughs> Idle hands lead to Republican voting, which is a fact. I, I think that is a clear, that's a clearly demonstrated fact. The uh, that that's the the white trash factor that we have not considered in in uh, previous elections. <laughs> but what we need to have is we need to give people a humane chance to improve their circumstances. You know, like it has to be there. There, there has to be a way for people to make a decent living and just continuously, I, I mean, I'm all for increasing the minimum wage because it's been stagnant for decades. I mean, these, these mild increases have done nothing to reduce the gap between the economic output of the United States and where the minimum wage is now. If you compare it you know, back to what it was 60 years ago when minimum wage was, for, was, was first introduced – it was much, much. It has it has been left behind by our nation's economic growth. So it is it is totally detached from the from the actual cost of living. I do think that should be brought up, but at the same time, that's not a fix. You know, that's not that doesn't repair things. What repairs things is you know things like education subsidies. Like we used to have, you know, up until the the nineteen seventies, basically up until Reagan, you know, the like that used to be a thing. University subsidies, college subsidies, was a thing, and then that is, and that's another issue with the Democrats is that they this is the party of you know like don't pay attention to any of these problems. We're you know, because as long as we're in charge, you know, like you're going to have reproductive rights, as if this is the only issue that we we should be concerned with. It's an incredibly important Me? issue, obviously. But you know, this is from this is from my own state in New Mexico, where our our four foot two governor Michelle Lujan Grisham she tweeted this on on the day before the election. She said, "As long as I am governor, abortion will remain legal and protected in every corner of the state. 
Providers delivering healthcare have every right to establish a practice, and all women have the right to access abortion services, no matter where in New Mexico they call home. That is awesome. I come, I I 100% appreciate that sentiment. But again, what happens when she's gone? What yeah. happens when when there's somebody else in office and they don't have the governor there to veto something that goes through a state legislature? Where's the effort to enshrine these rights in our in our state constitution at the very least? If we can't do it on a national level, where is that effort? Where where is telling New Mexicans to write their their state senators and let them know this is what you want. Where is the, the the statewide campaign to do something like that? And there, it's not there because they, the, this is this is the entire program as far as the Democratic Party is concerned. Everything's cool as long as we're here to protect you from the Republicans. That's their whole platform. Yeah. You're not like you know, just like I mentioned all that stuff about about university college prices and healthcare costs. What's going on with Israel? What's happening with Saudi Arabia? Uh, how about how about the fact that we know damn well that we are we are giving arms and funding people that have associations with Nazi organizations in Ukraine right now? We can't even talk about that. PBS just did an interview with uh, with a, a, a commander of the um, Azov the Battalion. Azov Battalion, and they blurred out the background of the photo behind him because the photo was of a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying in, that in we this... shouldn't give them money and arms to fight off the Russian invasion, but we need to address this fact. We need to address that yes, there actually are Nazis. We can't just act like this isn't happening. But there's a there is this there's kind of a campaign of gaslighting going on where we're not supposed to notice these glaring problems because okay, abortion is, you know, we're we're all right, we kept the Republicans back. They're not gonna further reduce reproductive rights. Hey, let's 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 zoom back to Billy Boy with the saxophone in the 1990s where we had the Democratic Party do its great emergence as as the party of neoliberalism in the economic sense of neoliberalism where that was when we saw NAFTA, that was when we saw Joe Biden's pet project the crime bill that was joe biden's yeah. bill we saw we saw from the democratic party over and over and over we we had uh don't ask don't tell at the same time we had uh the defense of marriage act which explicitly banned g- uh, gay marriage from the clinton era all these things that that the democrats say don't worry we're going to protect you from the republicans they turn around and fucking do and and it's not to say that there's no difference between the parties. That's not even remotely what I'm saying. But it would really fucking help if even in in the slightest way, they did some of the liberal things that they promote once in a just fucking once in a while that they actually did some of these things instead of just taking the rug out from underneath everybody in the United States. And then the next election cycle complaining that nobody wants to vote for them, even though they fucking sat on their hands and did nothing for the previous two to four years of non-election period. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wet Wired. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon forward slash wetwired. And if you can't support the show, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever. Where 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 can people leave reviews? All of the places. They can leave reviews everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell somebody Spotify about and it. Apple's you can talk to somebody important. about the podcast. You can say, "Hey, listen, this was a great podcast. I I really enjoyed this episode." Go out on the streets. Go tell people. Make, make a make a make a cardboard sign. You can make it and yeah, fly yeah. by the fly. You can make an A-frame sign and hang it on your like a sandwich board and hang it on your so <laughs> on your shoulders and tell people about the show. You can put up a flyer. Hop on parlor. Hop on parlor. Yeah, exactly. And gab. You know, by by all means, share the podcast on uh, your favorite social network like Parlor, Gab, or Truth Social. Um, MeWe. <laughs> MeWe. <laughs> If you're currently watching the uh, the decline and fall of Twitter, you can find us at Wetwired there. At where at Wetwired Pod. Oh yeah, sorry, at Wetwired Pod. And I think that's it. That's it. That's all the things. All right, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving and enjoy your freedom. <laughs> <laughs> God bless America. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. That person behind him on the wall is a, a famous Ukrainian uh, Nazi collaborator, right? His name is Stefan Bandera, and he, uh, par he participated in, in the Holocaust in Ukraine. So he killed, uh, um, he, he helped the Nazis to kill uh, Poles, right? Polish people. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, you know, a straight up Nazi collaborator. That, that That's it. That's all you need to know about him. And... There you go. So here's a picture of him. You can see, right? So, so th that's that's who he has on the wall behind him. This Ukrainian mayor. He, he has a portrait of a neo uh, of a Nazi collaborator on the wall behind him, and he is of course himself a neo-Nazi. This mayor, because there's actually another article about him. Uh, let me let me read this to you. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Okay, the headline says local Jews in shock after Ukrainian city of Konotop elects neo-Nazi mayor. Do you, do you want to take a guess? Just take a guess who that mayor is. Just take a guess. It couldn't be the same guy, could it? Oh, yes, it is. It's him. It's this neo-Nazi scumbag. It's the same. It's the one and only.